Hi, I'm Yaakov Katz, and welcome to a new episode of the Jewish People Policy Institute's Inside Analysis of the State of Affairs in Israel and the Jewish World. On today's episode, there's obviously a lot to talk about, especially with the news that came out this morning of the safe rescue of two hostages in the southern Gaza town of Rafa Rafiach, which was amazing uh, military operation of special forces who went in there under the cover of darkness and were able to rescue these two hostages who had been held there for the last almost 130 days. So we're going to talk a bit about what the significance of that is for the duration and the continuation of the war. But because we obviously did not know that this was happening, the plan for today was to talk about the situation in the United States and the Israel-U.S. relationship, and particularly what's happening with the Democratic Party and President Joe Biden, who seems to be moving and creating some distance between himself and the state of Israel over the continuation of the war in Gaza. I'm joined today by three people. The interview that I did is with Jonathan Kessler, who is the founder and director of Heart of a Nation, an organization that was established a couple of years ago to bring together and do some outreach between progressive Israelis, Palestinians, and Americans. Jonathan actually worked on one of President Biden's failed presidential campaigns back in the 1980s, so he knows him quite well. And then we'll have a conversation with two JPPI fellows, Gil Troy and Shmuel Rosner, to talk about what exactly is now, obviously, also the significance of the Gaza operation earlier, late last night, early this morning, but also what is going on on that relationship between Israel and the U.S. We'll start with Jonathan Kessler, and then we'll get to Gil and Shmuel. Here we go. Jonathan Kessler, it's great to have you once again on the JPPI webinar podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Yako. Great to see you, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. One of the smarter people who I know who's on sits on this very interesting, I would say, thread uh, between Israel and the United States, and that is you. And it's an issue that you and I have spoken about a lot over the years of how important this relationship is and this alliance, the mistakes sometimes that are made on both sides of the of the relationship and on both sides of the Atlantic. But I want to hear from you. I mean, you know the president well. You've actually worked with him in the past many years ago, back in, in, in the Senate. Uh, you know the people who are around him. You know the members of Congress well. It seems that there is a growing rift almost as the war continues over some of the issues. And I'm curious why you think that's happening now and what does it really mean on a substantive level? Well, uh, that's a great framing for our conversation, uh, Yaakov. I've known uh, President Biden since 1987 when I left APAC to help elect him to the White House. That was the first uh, of three or four times that he ran for the White House. And uh, I was part of a, a small coterie that worked pretty closely with him uh, before the, that campaign Im imploded. Um, you know, if I were to assess uh, the Democratic Party's relationship with the state of Israel today, in a word, I'd say good. But in two words, I'd say not good. Uh, let me let me let me elaborate on that a little bit. 
Um, let's start with the fact that the President of the United States sets direction for U.S. foreign policy, always has, and I suspect always will. President Joe Biden strongly supports Israel. That's not a secret to uh, the Israeli government. It's not a secret to uh, the opposition in Israel. It's not a secret to supporters of Israel or detractors of the Jewish state. Um, but Joe Biden also is deeply committed to Middle East stability and a two-state solution. Um, he's called himself a Zionist. I don't think any other president in U.S. history has ever used that, that moniker. Uh, uh, and uh, he has, in the last few months, mobilized his top diplomats um, to, to really lean into the complexities of the Middle East region since October the 7th. And finally, I think that he is appropriately pressuring Benjamin Netanyahu and his government with both an embrace and with real resolve, uh, both of which the people of Israel, I think, so desperately need um, over the last couple of, of months. Um, but make no mistake, Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America and committed to America's vital interest in the region, some of which uh, coincide with the direction of the current government of Israel and some of which clearly diverge from Netanyahu's coalition. Let me also point out on the, on the positive side of the ledger from the perspective of Jerusalem, that the leadership of the House and the Senate, the Democrats who lead the uh, Democratic members in the House and Senate, are deeply committed to the U.S.-Israel relationship, to the Abraham Accords, and to a two-state solution. Uh, and despite the high visibility um, and, and sometimes very provocative statements of the so-called squad, uh, the most progressive members of the House of Representatives, the fact is uh, the vast majority of Democrats in the House are deeply committed to Israel and to a two-state solution. However, Biden's top priority is and will remain preventing former President Trump from being reelected. That is his supreme objective now and for the rest of the campaign season. And several, some would say all, of the key constituencies that make up the Democratic coalition are far less supportive of Israel and the U.S.-Israel relationship than the president and the administration. So if, if I'm reading between what you're saying and between the lines, basically, let me put, let me, let me add some context and just tell me if I'm right or wrong. Biden last week or the week before issues the executive order on and imposes sanctions on four Israelis suspected of involvement in so-called settler violence. He does that the same day he flies off to Michigan, which we know is a swing state where there's the largest Arab American population. John Finer, the deputy national security advisor, goes to Michigan, meets with Arab Americans and starts to say, we made mistakes. This was reported in the New York Times over the weekend. So 
we America made mistakes in the way that it supported Israel. What you're saying is that it's not Biden moving away and distancing from Israel. It's Biden prioritizing the primary objective, which is to prevent the re-election of Donald J. Trump. Well, Joe Biden is a foreign policy president with enormous foreign policy experience, more than the last several uh, presidents combined, I would say. And uh, Joe Biden is not uh, weighing domestic factors as opposed to uh, global stability. He's focused on preventing the reelection of uh, Donald Trump, which he considers to be a threat to Israel, a threat to the Middle East, a threat to America, and a threat to the globe, and simultaneously with an eye on China, an eye on Russia, an eye on Iran, very much recognizes the current threat that uh, exists to America's national interest and global stability uh, in the Middle East. So, as I said, um, I see both an embrace of the Israeli position, the Israeli people since October 7th, and also what I refer to as appropriate pressure and leverage on a prime minister that the president of the United States does not have much affection for, and an Israeli government that uh, may or may not reflect the uh, the heart and soul of the people of Israel. The politics of Israel, as you well know, uh, are, are quite convoluted, quite complex, and quite problematic for a clear majority of Israelis who do not currently support this prime minister. But with your litany of examples of recent pressure placed by the administration on Bibi and his government, uh, we can't forget the context. Not uh, Richard Nixon, as you've written about recently, has a U.S. president done more to guarantee the supply of critically important materiel to the state of Israel in a time of war. In fact, I think you made the calculation that the Biden airlift to Israel since October 7th actually vastly exceeds the lifeline provided by President Richard Nixon in 1973 during the Yom Kippur War. In addition to the rhetorical support, the diplomatic support, um, I would say that you, you pretty much, between what you've articulated and what I'm now contextualizing, see uh, the yin and yang of this president and this administration. But while I emphasize that the president sets direction for the U.S. foreign policy, he doesn't do it in a vacuum. And I'm not just talking about uh, domestic electoral politics, I'm talking about Congress. And uh, uh, while it's true that the leadership of the Senate and House are strongly supportive of Israel and its current uh, war effort, as I began to indicate, the constituencies that make up the Democratic Party are, across the board, far less supportive of Israel today or of the Israel of this Israeli government today uh, than, uh, than the leadership. So let me articulate uh, uh, five constituencies that are according to every public opinion survey I've seen recently, far less supportive of Israel than President Biden or the leadership of the House and Senate. Let me start with an often overlooked 
Democratic constituency. I was in Israel recently, as you know, and I was mentioning to some people close to the prime minister that uh, Arab Americans supported Joe Biden in the last presidential election by about 85 percent. And today uh, they're polling at about 5 percent. And they've said, we will punish President Biden for his embrace of Israel. And the response I got was, who cares about Arab Americans? We don't think about Arab Americans as a significant voting bloc. But remember, a presidential election is not a national election. It's 50 state elections. And there are six states that we might consider uh, critically important to both the Democratic and Republican presidential candidate. One of them, of course, is Michigan. And right now, uh, it's going to be uh, a real battle to win the electoral votes of Michigan if Arab Americans and Muslim Americans in that state remain consistently opposed to the current uh, president. And um, let's watch what happens in the Democratic presidential primary on February 27th in Michigan. You might say, well, who's, who's really challenging Joe Biden? Well, you've got Arab American leaders, Muslim American leaders in that state saying, let's vote uncommitted. Let's uh, essentially send a, send a vote of no confidence in the direction of the president of the United States. Um, we're talking about a situation where a lot of key Democrats are already very, very nervous about how close the election uh, will probably be. And to lose any constituency is a problem. But I started with what might be considered the smallest of five Democratic constituencies that have uh, voiced opposition to the president's embrace of Israel. Um, one that goes without saying are self-identifying progressives. They do not like uh, Israel under the current Israeli government. And they don't like Biden's embrace of uh, Israel. Third would be people of color. Now, the, the simple fact is, uh, when you look at public opinion surveys, and you uh, examine the pull tabs, and you look at the various categories that make up the American people, generally speaking, uh, there are real differences when you look at uh, the way people identify racially. People of color, less supportive of uh, Israel, and um, a critical voting bloc. I mean, it's imaginable uh, to, to go into a Democratic uh, um, primary season, a general election for the presidency without people of color uh, very much in your corner. And you might think, well, they're not going to vote for the opposition. No, but they might stay home. And uh, uh, the fourth constituency is, is women. Generally speaking, women are less supportive of Israel than men. Maybe not by a massive margin, but then we get into the critically important fifth constituency, young people, youth voters. And there, the difference between the generations in terms of support for Israel under this Israeli government and the U.S.-Israel relationship, I've never seen such a disparity. We're talking about, depending on the question, since October 7th, when you ask young people and their parents and grandparents if they support Israel, if they feel uh, attachment to, to uh, the U.S.-Israel alliance, if they support Zionism, if they support Israeli actions in Gaza— Depending on the question, you've got a 20-point disparity or a 40-point disparity. Now, again, I'm not saying young people are going to turn out in droves for whoever is opposing Joe Biden in the general election, but 
they'll sit home. This is a generation that's big on branding, and they will not support a brand they're not comfortable with. Jonathan, what, what you know, you were just in Israel, you mentioned, what is it, you know, Heart of Nation, you guys are trying to bridge between the different, um, I would say, actors in, in this conflict or relationship, let's call it, right, between Americans, Israelis, Palestinians, Arabs. But I'm curious, when you, when you were in Israel, what do you think it is? Because obviously in Israel, the blood is still very much boiling. The feeling of humiliation is still very raw. The fact that we still have so many hostages being held in Gaza is, is very real. And uh, there is work that still needs to be done to prevent Hamas from having and retaining a capability to continue to threaten Israel. What do you think it is, though, that Israelis don't understand that uh, could help better navigate this relationship? What a fabulous question. You know, I was in Israel and the West Bank for 10 days recently, and uh, as much as I wanted to hear from people on the ground there, um, I got that question from from both sides or from all sides pretty much uh, on a daily basis. I would say this, um, every Israeli I spoke to, and I probably spoke to, uh, oh, I probably had 60 or 70 meetings in 10 days and, and, and addressed uh, seven to nine different, very different constituencies on the ground there. Everyone seems to recognize the importance of the United States not disengaging from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, not disengaging from the region, not pivoting away from the Middle East uh, to, to, uh, to China uh, or to other global concerns. Um, but way too many Israelis and Palestinians take American involvement for granted. Israelis across the board expressed appreciation for American support since October 7th, and we're clearly taking that support for granted. You know, <laughs> I like it, Israelis a lot, and uh, I find their, um, their chutzpah and, and even their solipsism, their self-absorption, more endearing than annoying, I for one. But that kind of solipsism, the notion that the whole world revolves around you, can be fatal when it comes to the key relationships that Israel must continue to depend on for its security and viability, especially its relationship with the United States of America. The simple fact is, the U.S.-Israel relationship is an organic relationship. It's like a marriage. It's like a relationship between siblings or parents and their children or business partners. And the greatest threat to that relationship is not enmity. It's not hatred. It's not animosity. It's not even annoyance. It's entropy. The tendency of every relationship in the universe to come undone when there isn't enough positive energy going into the relationship to sustain it. And I'm trying to help Israelis across the political spectrum understand that the worst thing you can do in a relationship is to take the, your, your partner for granted. I would suggest that the Israelis find a way in the midst of their pain and their sorrow and their anxiety to appreciate that they cannot take for granted 
Democratic Party support for Israel or Republican Party support? American support for Israel. I agree. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't say that better than you, Jonathan, because I also get the feeling oftentimes that Israelis take that for granted. And the point I was making in that piece that you referenced was showing Nixon 50 years ago, Biden today, one Republican, one Democrat, how how it's 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 been tested over time, that relationship 50 years from now, God forbid, we should need that again. I'm nervous. I don't know that we'll have someone. 50 years from now, uh, frankly, let me, let me admit my concern that five years from now, uh, or five months from now, um, uh, you've got an America that must be focused on Ukraine must be focused on Taiwan, must be focused on South Korea, must be focused on the global competition for supremacy in in uh, uh, new age technology. And then you've got the Israelis saying, we want all the attention on, on us. And the Palestinians saying, we're completely dependent on America leading an international coalition to finally bring us uh, what 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 we feel we deserve. Um, not only should Israeli leaders not take American support for granted, they really shouldn't take the future for granted. When you look at uh, the, the the survey showing the de- de- uh, the generational uh, differentiation in support, it's not just uh, among uh, liberals or Democrats. It's among all young people, those who lean Democratic and those who lean Republican. It's even among young evangelicals. Young evangelicals are far less supportive of the Jewish state than their parents and grandparents. Not to mention the fact that there's a very strong America First uh, caucus on both sides of the American political aisle that isn't any more convinced that Israel is always and forever an asset to America globally. Um, more and more on both sides of the aisle are talking about Israel as a liability to the United States. This is very, very worrisome. And one more word of caution, Yaakov, if I may. Yeah. Uh, there were a, a few Israelis I spoke to close to the prime minister who said, we've just got to wait out this administration uh, we 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 see uh, a much easier relationship if uh, if if Donald Trump uh, comes back to the White House. I I couldn't disagree more. I think that Donald Trump is going to be extraordinarily problematic for the Middle East, problematic for the Israelis, problematic for the Palestinians, problematic for those who aspire to uh, a, a better future for both peoples. Uh, I don't believe that anyone should be hoping for a restoration of Donald Trump. Donald Trump and his second administration is firmly committed to undoing everything that Joe Biden has accomplished in the Middle East. That means support for Israel. That means two-state solution. That means support for uh, advancing America's interests by building a stronger coalition. And I don't have any confidence in uh, in in uh, uh, a future that uh, that is is sanguine, um, I I'm up at night uh, quite late, uh, focusing on the future and concerned about the future. Um, I have a 
book on my shelf uh, that's called The Last Politician. It's it's the narrative of, of Joe Biden's political career. Um, it could also be called The Last Zionist. It is literally unimaginable that any future candidate for the presidency, Democrat or Republican, will ever refer to themselves uh, as, as, a, as a Zionist. Yeah. Jonathan, this is always fascinating and we could go on for much longer. I want to thank you so much for joining us and um, for really spelling it out clearly. What's at stake from your perspective and where things stand in this relationship. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Yaakov, anytime. So that was Jonathan Kessler uh, talking about basically the situation when it comes to President Biden and what's happening with the Democratic Party. And I want to bring in now uh, Shmuel and Gil to kind of elaborate and explore that a bit more. And uh, Gil, l- let's start with you. The um, so let's I mean let's let's start with the with the the issue of that. Uh, Jonathan brought up that basically what the what Biden is 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 prioritizing is this element of how first and foremost is Donald Trump and after that is everything else is that also how you see things or is there something deeper I mean let's just point out that this morning there was the report on NBC of uh, a certain word that Biden is calling Netanyahu lately starts with an A and ends with with whole. <laughs> well, I was going to start with the cynical notion that as long as the munitions keep coming, then um, a lot of this is, uh, is 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 talk. We have to, you know, put this in broader context, which is that Joe Biden is having one of the worst political weeks of his presidency because there was a possibility of a special prosecution over um, classified documents that were handled not on the same scale as Donald Trump, not with the same intentionality, but in a 300-page report, the um, the, the special prosecutor said that. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview with him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. And then when he went on a press conference to say, no, 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 I've got it. Uh, I've got it under control. He, he confused the, the president of Mexico with the president of Egypt. Now, in Hebrew, Mexico and Mitzrayim at least start with mems. But um, in, in English, it's just kind of inexcusable and, and reinforced the problem. And this week, you're seeing a whole spate of, of articles about should he resign? Should he should he not run? I'm not not resign from the presidency, but should he not run? So the politics become that much more sensitive, and that's the link with uh, Jonathan Kessler's uh, very sobering analysis. And I agree with Shmuel that it might be a little bit too in the in 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 in, in the in the in the in the weeds of the Democratic Party. Because um, one of the things I keep on seeing is that we do all these breakdowns of this constituent group and that constituent group, but the overwhelming majority of Americans continue to support Israel. The overwhelming majority of Americans going back in Gallup polls for 20 years are pro-Israel. And I think it would be a mistake for the Biden administration and for the American Jewish community to miss that. I think we're spending so much time panicking on the micro level about where the youth are going to be 20 years from now and about Michigan. Now, we're missing two really important things. Part of Joe Biden's narrative has to be a narrative of vigor. And he doesn't have a success in Afghanistan. That was a disaster. He has a stalemate in Ukraine. That's not going to change that much probably in the next couple of months uh, for the better for America. And Israel needs a win, not just for Israel, but for 
but, but for America. And secondly, I think there's a core decency in the American people and a core pro-Israelism that hasn't been activated enough even by the American Jewish community. And I think Amer American Jews are, are obviously very traumatized, reeling from the trauma of October 7th still, but they've got to figure out how to, how to really bring out their non-Jewish friends and, and bring out that core love that Joe Biden has so beautifully expressed uh, both over the years with his stories and, and his deep love for Israel, but also with his, you know, famous don't, don't, don't. Well, I, I mean, I, I I think we can't obviously accept American demands, but I also think that, you know, looking at what's happening, it, it definitely is to me a bit reminiscent of the days of Barack Obama when there was a, an, an intended effort at some extent to create what we they were called the daylight, right, between Israel and the United States. And the idea at the time was that, this was important to be able to uh, re-engage with the Muslim world. That was part of what Obama tried to do. It didn't work, right? <laughs> so it kind of was a miserable failure. But the, the idea of the daylight was intended to do that. And it seems that Biden, Gill, is, is, is maybe trying to do the same thing right now, right? So on the other hand, you could say what he's doing it could be worse, right? He could stop weapons to Israel. He could call for a total ceasefire. So it, it, it could always be worse than it really is. Shmuel, I, I mean, I'm wondering what you think about something that, that I've been thinking a lot about now is as the war potentially winds down, we go from the high intensity stage to a lower intensity stage, whatever that looks like. But we'll set off the protests and we'll be the 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 signal for Benny Gantz and Gadi Eisenkot to pull out of the government. And we'll basically also be the 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 starting bell for the uh protests to begin. And one of the things that Netanyahu might want to do actually. And I was thinking that maybe Biden is, at, is is actually giving Netanyahu something of a gift. He'll want to be able to present to the Israeli electorate, this is a hostile president, and you need me to stay in office to deal with him. Anyone else, from Gantz to Lapid to Bennett to Yossi Cohen, will be weak in front, in 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 opposite a president like this. I did it with, with Barack Obama. I can do it again with Joe Biden. Do you think that that's something that Netanyahu is considering? Is that in the calculation? You might consider it. Well, he might consider it. I'm not sure it's going to work uh, this time around. Uh, President Biden is not seen by Israelis as hostile in any way. They understand that there are issues now between the Israeli government and the uh, and the American administration, but not all Israelis are uh, are quite certain that it's the Israeli government who has the better argument uh, against the uh, the arguments made by the administration. And and I don't think the the arguments that could work for Netanyahu against some of his previous uh, competitors can work against Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz proved himself to be quite resilient to such attacks from from Netanyahu. He made himself available to the government when the war started. He joined in. Uh, he doesn't yet show any clear sign of of moving out anytime soon. I don't think this is coming. In, in the next days, uh, not even in the next few weeks. It's probably going to take uh, uh, somewhat longer than people expect. And as for the, the protesters, they're already in the streets. Uh, I, I know you're in Jerusalem, so you might not see them because they are here in Tel Aviv. But if you go to um, to uh, uh, the center of Tel Aviv on a, on a Saturday night, there are already many thousands of people gathered there to protest. Uh, this week on Thursday, 
the, the Kaplan Street protesters are going to uh, reinstate for the, for the first time their, um, their round of protest against the ministers and members of Knesset. So I think the moment in which we will see a convergence of Gantz and Eisenkot deciding to leave the government in a few weeks or short few months, and the, the protest movement getting more traction is getting nearer. Uh, maybe, maybe the prime minister knows this, uh, but if he does, you know, for, for now, we've, we've, seen, we've just seen two new polls uh, coming out uh, yesterday and the day before that from Channel 12 and Channel 13 News. And both of them were very bad from, for Prime Minister Netanyahu. Both of them basically showed that the Likud does not gain any new uh, votes and that support for the Prime Minister is still in the low 30s. This is what we see in JPPI polls as well. Support for the Prime Minister started low and remained low and doesn't go up. And if Netanyahu is forced to have a new election in 2024, which I assume uh, would be a safe assumption or a, a reasonable assumption, at least, uh, he's not in a good situation. And running against Pre President Biden, well, I'm not sure it's going to help him much, especially so because President Trump, the idea of a President Trump is not as appealing to Israelis today as it used to be uh, uh, four or eight years ago. They hear President Trump, they see what he says. Just the other day he said that he's in favor of abolishing all, uh, all foreign aid, including aid to Israel. So I don't think Israelis are as enthusiastic about uh, President Trump or an alliance between a uh, President Trump and a uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu as they were Four years ago. Gil, I'm wondering, you know, what, well, a lot of the talk over the last few days has obviously been about Rafiah, Rafa. And uh, we we saw on the phone call that took place yesterday, was it the day before now, between the prime minister and the president, you know, present a plan. You have to take care of the displaced Palestinians who are there. And then we have this operation overnight, which rescues the two hostages and uh, who had been there now for almost 130 days to bring them home in Rafa. There are hostages in Rafa. Like, does that give Israel more legitimacy in your view that to be able to continue to to, to launch the more full-scale operation that is needed to take to further degrade Hamas capabilities there? Absolutely. I think that uh, if I was a Hollywood producer um, and I was orchestrating this, I, I couldn't have picked a better opening to the story. And and the, the fact that, A, it was a sex, successful operation, uh, after a long drought where we hadn't been able to, we, we saved one hostage very much in the beginning. Um, B, we needed that kind of moral boost. And C, it gives a very compelling reason to go in. So I think that um, it, it it separates the conversation. I just came back from the U.S. and I was really struck by the inability of my close, close American friends and you know very serious American thinkers to answer two questions. Every time they would say, you know, God, you got to stop what you're doing. You got to stop what you're doing. Uh, apologize. I would say, what would you have us do? Give me an alternative. And simply say, you know, be nicer to the Palestinians um, basically means they want to risk our kids' lives for their sensibilities. But no one really has a thoughtful alternative. 
And that's an important thing when you talk about also the critique against uh, Netanyahu's uh, management of the war. And by the way, there's an important article in Tablet by Edward Lutbach going into details about just how successful this war has been. So that's the first thing. And the second is this constant incantation called the two-state solution. And I would simply say, I just have a simple question. Just tell me, what are Israelis supposed to learn from the failure of this engagement and the failure of Oslo? And if you can't incorporate that into your two-state solution talk, if you can't explain why it's different, then you're not, gonna, you're not going anywhere. And that gets to the bigger issue. Uh, it's interesting the way you framed it with uh, Shmuel about Bibi, because Netanyahu has always had two arguments. One, ah, I can handle the Americans. I'm the tough guy. On the other hand, I have this magic with the Americans. The American Jewish community eats out of my hand, <coughs> and, the, and, and the American policymakers dance with me, and only I can handle them. Well, I think it's very clear from what Jonathan was saying, from what Joe Biden has been saying, uh, from what every American Jewish leader has been saying, is that that magic is gone. Uh, I, I would argue that the that the magic talk about BB and the Americans is 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 as is 1980s as the faith in the two state solution is very 1990s. Both of them are out of date, and we need everybody to kind of update our paradigms and update our rhetoric, and um, and 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 that's what's terrifying. So on the one hand. I think the munitions will continue. I think we only need, who knows, but it looks like we only need another couple of weeks. Uh, and so we can quibble and have another couple of rounds uh, over there of, of debating with the Americans. Um, oh, by the way, I think that also what both Biden uh, and Blinken said was reprehensible. I think calling Israel's uh, reaction to October 7th over the top and saying that we're dehumanizing Palestinians is, is so insensitive to what Israel has tried to do, the restraints it's, it's, it's imposed on itself let alone that America is imposed, and is such a misreading of American military history and American military tactics that uh, that is worthy of an apology, but it won't be coming. Uh, but let the let 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 the let the weapons keep coming, and uh, we'll I will absorb a couple more insults. You know, just on that one point of Rafa, uh, what what I what I actually wrote on X on Twitter is that imagine that toward the end of the nine-month war against ISIS in Mosul back in 2017, as, as ISIS was on the ropes, someone called on the U.S. not to go into the Bab at Twab neighborhood of Mosul, and because that's that, that we have to be careful with. Does anyone really think that the U.S. would have listened? And I think we all know the answer. Israel has to get the job done here. And, uh, and I think as we saw last night, there is what to go into Rafah. To, to, to achieve. Thank you for joining us today. You can find all our episodes where you get your podcasts. Please share widely and give us a five-star review. We will see you back here soon.